Hey everyone, welcome to Rajit Show, the show where I interview people who are reshaping what it means to live well in the 21st century. We talk the creator economy, learning and building in public, and how we can hack our way out of our most pressing issues. Enjoy. All right, what's up, Kieran? Thanks, thanks for joining me. It's super yeah, good to have you. Yeah, I, I told you just before, I was like, I got to hit this record button as soon as we start talking because you were just dropping gems as soon as I joined the call. But um, <laughs> so, yeah, what are the one of the things we were talking about? And I think this is a great sort of starting point is there's that day in March that I think basically everyone can remember where we shifted to working from home. And, and I think that drove a lot of what we're going to talk about in terms of interest in this new creator economy, but also this recognition that college wasn't providing as much value anymore. So just what was going through your mind? What were the sort of things that you were thinking about in March? And then how did that inform the way you thought about structuring the next couple of months in terms of life and career decisions and stuff like that? Yeah. So the company I was working for at the time for about like a little over half a year was already fully remote and online. So we actually had a head start on knowing how to work online through Slack and Zoom and all that. So from that perspective, like we didn't really face the shock that a lot of other companies had. But at the same time, we realized that business is going to slow down, just like pretty much like a lot of other yeah companies that rely on physical interactions. And I thinking about what the what was going on around me, like everything closing down, people projecting that this pandemic you know wouldn't really be over until at least next year or maybe years after that. I just thought this is gonna be like a unique opportunity that I mean hopefully we'll never experience again. But this will definitely be a unique opportunity that we have to take advantage of. There's no other time where you're going to get everybody in the world having a bunch of extra time just sitting at home, having to just work from home and find things to occupy their free time. So from that perspective, I thought, okay, I had actually just gotten into a, a master's program at UPenn at the time that was scheduled to start in September. I basically thought to myself, okay, I have these six months between right now when my master's program is going to start. And I basically thought now it would be a really good time to leave my job and then have this six-month transition period before classes start where I can work on projects that really interest me. I don't really have any obligations where I have to travel around or, or meet other people where I have you know, to spend a bunch of time. So I have a six months. Let me focus on doing a bunch of background research and building up skills I need to work in the creator space because that's been a space that I've been you know passionate about for years and years now that I've thought about and built projects around and I really just never had the time that that I had starting in March to just spend all day doing research in this space thinking about products thinking about the future of this space and how to solve some of the you know, problems that have emerged with the explosive growth of the creator space. And then especially over the next couple of months, it was fascinating to see just how much the space grew overall. Like mm-hmm. you see 
like with gyms closing down, for example, like health and fitness, the, the amount of content and the amount of creators around health and fitness just blew up. Everybody was just like tuning into online, like online, like gym right. class over Zoom, right. um, for example. And so it was a perfect storm to immerse myself in thinking about how the creator space was going to really change forever and be much larger. Yeah, it's fascinating. I mean, you talked about being looking at it for a couple of years. I, I started being interested in it. I said just during the quarantine, I just started binging YouTube. And that, that was really powerful for me. I found Daniel Burke, who's this guy that's really interested in, in fitness and artificial intelligence and machine learning and just does YouTube videos about it. And it was something really interesting. Like typically when you think about the internet, there's a lot of garbage out there on the yeah. internet, but that was very helpful. It was very genuine. There was nothing, there was like no production quality to it. There was nothing artificial about it. And so I felt like I had a real connection with a real person just through YouTube. Um, yeah. And it was fascinating in that way. I guess if what sort of interested you particularly about that space and then it sounds just having the time to, to fully invest yourself in thinking about how to create and innovate around that space, but also become a part of it. What was that like? Yeah, I think it's important to start with like where I got first interested in your space was I think in like my first year of undergrad or maybe it was late high school, like around like 2015, 2016, LeBron James had just announced that he was starting a media company called Uninterrupted. Uninterrupted. Yeah. yeah that's where this is from. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. I didn't even notice that. Yeah. But uh, he was starting this media company called Uninterrupted, where I think the founding seed of that company was the idea that, that he no longer wanted athletes to share their views and express their views through the third party of a journalist. Like he was yeah. tired of journalists like taking athletes words and like jumbling up the meaning behind an athlete's words and then releasing a post on like ESPN or Yahoo something like that he wanted to create a direct outlet where athletes could announce news about where they were signing with the team what their thoughts were on different issues and it was more of a direct relationship where the athlete will record a video on Instagram and then post it through the uninterrupted the uninterrupted account and that moment made me think, okay, wow, LeBron James is basically creating a media that's built off of his, oh, sorry, one sec. My AirPods just automatically connected. Connected, yeah, reason. that's fine. <laughs> but as I was saying, LeBron James was essentially creating this media company built off the back of his own brand that was now going up against media giants, like these institutional giants. And in a way like you were funneling like high profile content from these institutions. If, the, if an a athlete announces where they're going to sign with the team, that's pretty big news. That's going to generate a lot of views on a traditional institutional media website, like an ESPN, Yahoo, something like that. But now you have this direct to audience channel where these athletes can announce big moments in their lives directly through uninterrupted on Instagram. And that moment really made me realize like the power of the, that an individual like a LeBron James has, or all these athletes have, and that they've, they have a big following an audience that doesn't really 
like that isn't loyal to like consuming news through an institutional media channel. They're much more loyal to hearing and they're much more receptive to hearing news directly from the athlete. That was a point where I thought this whole landscape of of creation is shifting from institutions to like individuals that really have the power to capture their audience and and their base of fans. Yeah. I I had a great conversation yesterday with Alex Musmedge who he's a crypto creator and and he talked about it similarly too now in the way that athletes and artists can use Instagram. The thing about Instagram is no one necessarily has to pay to use to see your content, right? You can't monetize several million or tens of millions of Instagram followers. So in that way, you're still being controlled by a, a private media company in some sense. And so he actually talked about using the blockchain to further decentralize, as you talked about it, move power from institutions to individuals. And his analogy for that was really interesting to me because everyone's inside right now, basically how you said. And so traditionally the village courtyard it, it doesn't exist anymore. So the public forum for discussion and debate is essentially Instagram, Twitter, right? Whatever else people use. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's important that the public own these means of communicating in the public forum. So I thought that was interesting that there's this whole pendulum shift going on where you talked about, first of all, we're going from legacy media institutions. And I guess we see it other places, right? From people going from the New York Times to Substack and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. But we have ESPN and then it gets broken up to the, the athletes announcing stuff themselves on Instagram. And now maybe it could go even further to the athletes literally just owning all of their content and everyone having to pay for it. Exactly. Yeah. I think it's not even just limited to media. Like you see, I keep talking about the athletics arena because that's, I mean, I'm a big uh, NBA fan and I follow uh, the sport close and their athletes. But I think Jordan was definitely out of his time and that he was able to create this massive brand around himself. It's still through a bigger company like Nike, just because they, to they build have the up, distribution. Yeah. They, yeah. They have the infrastructure in place. So it makes sense. But Steph, Stephen Curry launching his own brand with an Under Armour now. And then I, I think that there's a lot of fans who, a lot of people think that these fans are loyal to a brand like, like a Nike or Adidas, but really they're only, loyal to the brand so long as their favorite uh, athletes and influencers are using that brand. You saw fans of like when Kanye has moved from Nike to Adidas. You saw a whole migration of people who weren't, who weren't even interested in buying any Adidas shoes or products. But once he released his his easy shoe line through Adidas, he created a bunch of fans that never would wear Adidas before that. Right. So I think it's not even limited to media, the power of evolving from institutions to individuals. I think in a lot more physical spaces too, you can see that evolution where these creators, as they get bigger and bigger, they realize that they don't really have to partner with an institutional big brand. They can make their own. Yeah. It's amazing how much power individual people have. And I like that you mentioned that it's not just limited to media. I think 
obviously we were talking about education before and specifically in computer science, right? The number of online courses out there, it's insane, but there's platforms like teachable, even just coding podcasts, but right. Teachable people can record loom videos, Gumroad. It's absolutely absurd. Yeah. The number of different ways there are for just selling your content and content can be so many different things. Yeah, this is the thing I was thinking about. I've been thinking about for the past couple months is this like the central idea that to me, a creator is not really a person who produces videos, produces like, like videos and, and content necessarily online. A creator is a person who is able to change people's personal beliefs. Like I think about creators as like these religious leaders that exists now like you had religious leaders like Jesus or the Pope long ago who were they were creators and I don't think it's far-fetched at all to make that comparison to a lot of the creators that are there now like you see these leaders like a Travis Scott or a Drake who everything they come out with it sells out immediately people don't want to like the influence that these people have is not limited to people consuming like videos and music. The influence that these people have are, there are a lot of like people out there who consume this content, but they then change a lot of their personal truths and beliefs of what they believe to be true and how they want to live. I think like the founder of, of, of Barstool, David, David Portnoy, he started when the pandemic started, he was started to trade stocks online and he would broadcast it. He still broadcasts his stock trading throughout the day. And I don't think it's far-fetched at all to think that there are going to be kids who will become stockbrokers and investment bankers in their futures because Dave Portnoy introduced them to the world of stocks. So it's not far-fetched to me to think that a lot of these creators have the direct power to change people's beliefs and truths about what they, about how they feel about the world and how they interact with the world. Like you literally have these creators who are changing people's lives and influencing their behaviors. Yeah. It's so interesting that you say that talk to, right. Change people's minds. That's a very powerful thing. I think religious leaders, it's definitely a strong connection to make, but cult leaders for sure. When I spoke to Justin Murphy, there was obviously a big conversation actually about Justin Murphy on the Gen Z Mafia Discord server. Yeah. But you know, when I spoke to Justin Murphy about it, we talked about how content creator does these people a disservice in the sense that content isn't very descriptive, right? Yeah. But the, he certainly agrees with you in that he called content creators world builders. It's this escapism right? For all these kids that you think because they watch Barstool could end up becoming investment bankers. And I, I, I think I agree with you there. I think just being able to be exposed to new ideas in that way. But I think these online creators, they create an escape from the physical reality. And then depending on how far down we pursue that escape, that does influence the people we become and things like that. Sure. Yeah, I think, you know, creators, I think of Elon Musk as like a creator. Like for me personally, like he's the guy who really influenced my interest in technology, in AI, in a lot of, and thinking about solving problems that are existential threats to humanity. 
So in that sense, a lot of people don't think of, I guess, Elon Musk as a creator. He obviously a big thing about Tesla and SpaceX is that they don't have any paid marketing channels, paid advertising. But Elon Musk, is, to me, is probably the greatest salesman of all time because he's able to turn his personal identity and personal brand, the way he thinks about, you know, focusing your entire life on solving these existential problems for humanity. He's able to influence people's thoughts about, I should buy, I should support the electric car industry because the, the gas car industry is destroying the environment around us. I should think about what the future of civilization means to go to space and not think about humanity to being limited on Earth. He's a creator to me because he's directly influencing how the next generation is going to think about building the world around them. And I think the same is true for even like creators like Mr. Mr. Beast, for example, like a guy who has 50 million subscribers on YouTube and a large majority of his audience is probably like under the age of 16 or like in that like five to 18 year old range. So the way he conducts himself, the way he thinks about his you know, philanthropy and the fact that a lot of his content is focused on helping people around him and just remaining humble the whole time. That's going to influence the way a lot of people set their belief systems about their own life. A lot of people are going to form these self-evident roots and personal beliefs. Like I have to be philanthropic too. Like I should be looking out to, to help people and I should live my life in not this like self-angratizing way where making money is the only thing that matters. More important is helping people around me. So it's not far-fetched at all to me to say that a creator is not just somebody who produces content online. It's anybody who's able to influence uh, a person's beliefs. Yeah. There's certainly idols and, and models to people that are in their you know, probably most formative years. I, yeah, I would wonder how many people bought a Tesla because of Elon versus the fact that it was electric, to be honest. But yeah, <laughs> yeah I, one of the best definitions of creators I saw was from another person I talked to called Hugo, and, and he writes about this. So he might be an interesting person for you to talk to as well. Yeah. yeah. He, he was really helpful for, for me, and, and I'm sure then you've probably seen some of his writing, but he, his definition was a creator was just that a creator is someone who scales without permission. And he has this fantastic phrase, which I'm sure you love as well, which is just called the post-permission world. And it's so interesting that you mentioned Elon, right? Because when Elon started, he just starts these multiple moonshot companies that the guy got so much hate for 10 years. And they all started working out and then eventually people just had to shut up. Yeah. And, and so I think it's also interesting, this shift of just, it, it seems like the individual is more important than the content or the creation now, right? Yeah, 100%. But, yeah, if, if somebody like him, or say you took, I don't know, like I can't think of it, like say like ex-Rick Bidman from MIT, like, the guy who has his own podcast about AI yeah. all the time. 
say he started his own like mini university where he was teaching people machine learning and AI, that would get so many people to immediately oh, yeah. sign up and take his, take yeah. his, like you have this legacy branding of institutions like Stanford, MIT, and people just really want to go to these places because the brand is great. And if you tell somebody you went to Stanford, MIT, they're immediately like, oh, this person is smart. They know what they're doing. But I think this pandemic especially has exposed a lot of these institutions as not providing nearly the value that that they say they do. Like you get a value of the network, but to pay $60,000 a year for an education that is honestly something you could get on YouTube or people would pay a, an individual creator like a tenth of that happily and be far more engaged with the content that's there. I think we'll, we're going to see in education, especially a really powerful shift where individuals who are experts in their field mm-hmm. will realize that they don't really have to teach at a place like a Harvard or Stanford. They can build their own brand, grow over time. And if there's experts in like computer science, business, economics, these fields where you don't have to go to a college to learn, we're going to see a lot more individuals realize that if they're an expert in their field, they can go the independent route and build these businesses around themselves where they can teach people and people will be interested in what they have. It's obviously different for fields like like healthcare, where you really need that institutional infrastructure to learn and get experience. But there are a lot of fields like engineering where you don't necessarily have to. Yeah, we're seeing it a little bit already with things like masterclass and yeah, uh, yeah. That that community is just so powerful. Part of me wishes I just decided to be a YouTube creator earlier. It it was astounding. To people, I guess, when, I forget when this study happened, maybe it was like 09 or something, but they found that more American kids wanted to be YouTubers than astronauts. And not soon after, Kylie Jenner became, right, the world's youngest ever billionaire. And that's no accident, obviously. There's something incredibly powerful going on there. And it's interesting that you bring up this parallel of universities, right? Because that's legacy branding. And you can build yourself a brand that's worth as much to other people how much is the brand of right elon musk worth in in comparison well you can't really compare it to you know an education but how much is that worth in comparison to another legacy institution right because he starts talking and and immediately people all take their cameras up to me imagine if a guy like elon like from when he started building companies imagine he let's just imagine he like he vlogged that whole time but just imagine that he documented that whole journey I think you would never have somebody pay for an entrepreneurship class or a business class again, ever, if they could just watch what he did for 10 years. That's, yeah, <laughs> that would be some wild stuff. It's so funny watching, this isn't necessarily related, but it's so funny watching like these guys like Jeff Bezos or Elon Musk when their companies aren't successful. Honestly, they look terrible, right? Like even Gary V, right? His first one library videos and stuff like that. You know who Gary Vee is, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, okay. Just, there's this assumption, uh, I, I guess like this incorrect assumption that people judge larval ideas 
as if they were they were fully fleshed out ideas and in, in, in a similar way to people but they just i mean him 10 years ago versus him now it's just astounding and similar to amazon 20 years ago now and stuff like that but one of the things i also wanted to talk to you about was obviously this idea of identity and and how that sort of shaped how your journey through interacting with different things whether it was being at college whether it was working at a, a farm pharmaceutical startup or whether it was now now that you're in this master's program how you thought about your personal identity and one refrain i've heard from people a lot of the time is just that from a very young age they realized that they wanted to use technology to help other people and sort of everything they did was around that core thesis so i'm just interested in when you started thinking about this you know core thesis of yours and how you thought about structuring things around that. Yeah, I think for sure it started like when I graduated college. I couldn't really like, probably the six months after I graduated college was like some of the like hardest of my life. So originally I was pre-med studying to be, uh, and I applied to med school in college. So I did the whole pre-med track in college. I ended up like not getting into any med schools and then, but at the same time, I majored in economics. So I had at least like a kind of a diverse yeah. background. So after I didn't get into ed school, I started applying to like different technology jobs too. Like, I think the entire time I was, my heart was like always interested in like startups and technology. I think like a lot of people I was, you know, I did pre-med just because I thought like, it's like a guaranteed path to a job. And if I don't like it, I can always find something else to do later. I have this thing to fall back on. But in that period where I was just graduating college, I just got ejected from every med school I applied to. I was applying to like hundreds of jobs per week, not getting any interviews or anything back. And I spent a lot of time thinking about what I want my career to be like, not just my career, what I want my life to be like. I really thought that a lot of people talk about this balance between work and life but i've always hated that that phrase mm. like i've never been somebody who's i want work life balance like i want to find something where i love doing it and i can and my work and my life is the same thing like every second of my life i spend just thinking about like the problems that i want to solve and the work that i want to do so i think the notion of having work life balance implies that you're not like you're not really in love with your job and you want to have this like rigid split between working and like doing, you know, something like something else is having free time. But for me, it's like in that period after I graduated college, I decided that I don't want ever to have a work life balance or split. I just want my work and life to be one thing that I focus on in terms of my identity. Like I thought about this a lot. I just want to work on problems that will like fundamentally change, not just the world, but like how, humanity as a civilization lives like i'm interested in pro science i'm interested in the race to build like civilizations on the moon and on mars and like just really pushing the boundaries of what uh technology can truly do i think you have a lot of people or a lot there's a lot of focus nowadays on building these incremental products like another like photo or video sharing app and then you, there's a lot of like ecs also 
who talk about how they want to fund companies that are like truly going to change the world. But you look at their investment decent portfolios, and they're all just some, like similar companies that have already existed, mm-hmm. like not focusing on big moonshot ideas. And so I think it's important to work on building products that are like mind blowing to people to use and that can actually make these revolutionary changes in the way that we live and interact. I think Elon Musk, obviously I talk about him a lot. Somebody who's really influenced me to just not start a company because you can make money off of it, but build products that are like going to forever change the way we live and interact. Yeah, it's there's certainly I, I don't want to talk about the media too much, but there's certainly this dystopian media view of technology now. And yet when I talk to any technologist, I'm filled with nothing but hope for the future, which is it, it's so antithetical to what I see out there. Yeah. Um, like I there's a lot of guys like like Bezos and Musk, they get so much hate because they've racked up like hundreds of billions of dollars, but they they deserve that money because they have an ownership stake in a company which makes products and services that people have such a strong demand for. A lot of people hate Jeff Bezos, but where would their life be if Amazon didn't exist? It would suck. Like a lot of people who like they, well, they hate on these like billionaires because there's this idea that they have all this money that they've accumulated. And there's people who like don't make, even enough money to live and survive. So there's somehow this, that they're evil and they don't deserve it, but that's the opposite of what exists. Like these people are providing services that have improved so many people's lives. And I think it's important to, to just think of technologists in this way. Like a lot of these guys, like they aren't just making money because they stole it from somebody like, they're making money because they've created immense value. Yeah. Uh, Paul Graham just wrote an essay on it and it was actually a head fake sort of thing because his essay was about how to get into Y Combinator, but it essentially came down to markets work and people get wealthy because they're inherently positive. Some you become wealthy by enriching other people. And so that's certainly in Elon's case. Right. <laughs> if you set out making some technology to go change the world and then you actually go change the world, then, you know, you probably should make a lot of money. Yeah. But to get back to what you were talking about. So you have this period where you it sounds like you're thinking a lot and thinking very intentionally about how you want to structure the next few months in your life. And so yeah. you, you mentioned that you were focusing on certain personal projects and it sounds like you're actually thinking about going back to pursue those projects and ideas about the creator space in the next coming months. So what's that? For me, like the creator space, I think there's a lot of focus right now on like creator platforms and like how different platforms evolve over time. But my focus has never really been on like what the next platform will be or how platforms change. It's, it always goes back to like my tenure view is that there's this like fundamental shift between these individuals owning all the power to institutions, owning all the power to individuals. And that's the aspect of the creator uh, space that I'm most interested in. Like how can we build products? How can we solve problems to enable individuals to, to develop these direct relationships with people who want to hear what they have to say. 
and facilitate that direct transfer of knowledge, direct transfer of thoughts. There's a few projects I'm working now to solve some problems in that space. And so I really want to just focus heads down on that for the next like six to eight months. Yeah, I can certainly appreciate that, this desire to just go 100% on something. And so what's, what is one change, one sort of shift? We've talked about the, the desire to move power from institutions to individuals, but what's one shift that you would like to see happen or, or you would like to bring about in the way that we interact with technology in the way that power is distributed right now in, in any of the things that we've talked about? Yeah, I think that a really big problem right now is I right now I think like the main problem that has to be solved is this transition period when creators are realizing that they don't have to be so reliant on like YouTube or Instagram to reach their their audience. I think that we're going to see a lot bigger shift toward these individuals owning their own domain and publishing a lot of their content and I guess a lot of their products directly to their audience, like whether it be like their own domain online, like their own website and not necessarily having all these separate channels to distribute their thoughts and their knowledge to their audience. It's a really tough problem to solve because these platforms are so big that it's really, it makes, it, it just makes sense for like a creator if they want to sell a product to post it on Instagram and just have their, their audience see the product there because there's already billions of people on there. But the downside with that is that obviously Instagram is filled with immense competition. Like you only get like the amount of attention you get for people's time is like, fragile second because there's so much content on there so there's this really hard problem where it like creators feel tied to like a lot of these institutional platforms because that's where everybody is and that's where it's easiest for people to interact with the content that you have and find out what you're talking about and posting about but then at the same time, if you're tied to all these platforms, they're, they have these algorithms that can change at any point. You have no control over how your content gets seen. You have very little control over, or you have very little insight into who your audience is. Like you have general demographic information about who your audience is, but it's really hard when you have this third-party platform to actually collect information about who the names of your biggest fans are, who supports you the most. So there's, I think the, the one problem I really think about a lot now is like, how do we transition from a place where creators don't have to feel tied to these distribution platforms uh, that exist now and then can, and can instead own their own domain. Yeah. The, I, I think it's really empowering to hear you say that because there's obviously there's some technological issues, right? It's difficult to hold, to host a one hour audio file on your yeah. <laughs> webpage, 
but it'll be interesting to see how the infrastructure evolves. And it certainly sounds like you're going to be a part of that, but it'll be interesting to see how that evolves specifically in terms of how granular the data will become because a, a creator is weird in the sense that you don't have a stable income. So you have to continue to innovate, but there's risk there and that's probably exciting, but none of what you make is guaranteed, right? So I guess it's really important for them to have that level of understanding of where their money is coming from and and what they can expect it to be. Yeah. Like the building infrastructure is the biggest challenge that separate that still keeps institutions in the dominant position here. Like you couldn't have a, like a guy like Jeff or LeBron build their own shoe company or apparel company because, you know, they obviously just don't have the distribution infrastructure in place now, but I think we're in the, we're going to see a lot of technological shifts where you can't have that happen. Like previously people would just sell their, if someone was starting a small business, they would sell their goods through Amazon because they don't have an online storefront that's able to handle distribution and shipping and all of that. But with, with Shopify, as an example, like you have all of a sudden this powerful infrastructure where people can have their own stores. They don't have to worry about a lot of the logistics and infrastructural challenges that happen behind the scenes. So there's going to be a lot of value created, I think, in the next couple of years with providing infrastructure to individuals that offer the same sort of benefits that a lot of these big institutions have. Mm -hmm. Yeah. One of the funniest ideas I ever heard on one of these was this guy talking about a Google Chrome extension that whenever you go on Amazon, it just pastes over whatever product you're looking at with a similar product from a Shopify store. (laughs) Um, Yeah. I I read an article recently that Amazon is like really worried about how much Shopify has exploded and grown over Yeah, it's apparent from, you know, our sense too, because Shopify developers are so in demand freelance roles. But yeah, it's, it'll be so interesting to see where this goes. And it's so exciting, certainly, just because who wouldn't want to live in a world where anyone can create whatever they want, right? There's literally no gatekeepers. And so the last question that I always ask people in, in these interviews, which we've talked about a little bit already, but what excites you the most for the future? Yeah, I think there is definitely this idea that I think, uh, so let me see, this is a little bit like, this is something that I think about a lot, so it's hard for me to put directly into words, but the last decade has been focused on like smartphone innovation and all the businesses that have been created from like smartphones and mobile technology like you see companies like uber instagram snapchat like airbnb or dash who have exploded from this like from people have shifting their lives from like being connected at home to being connected all the time and i spent a lot of time thinking about what's the next evolution like people are are connected right now through their phones but 
obviously there's a lot of companies that are looking into brain machine interfaces technology like technology that can directly integrate with your physical body and having this deeper connection and symbiosis with technology where you become the technology yourself we've seen a little bit with and stuff like an apple watch can it has a bunch of their focus on health they can measure a lot of I don't know, they can obviously they measure a lot of like statistics about your health uh, all day and they keep track of that i think what excites me the most about the future is this progression toward symbiosis with technology and just like the mind-blowing possibilities of having little nano robots in your body which are can affect changes in your in your, in your biological self neurotechnology and then i think the prospect that the world is becoming more and more open to having like civilizations not just on earth but like we're starting to explore the moon starting to explore mars so i think the amount of technological advancement that we've seen over the past 10 or 20 years is going to be nothing like the advancement we see in the next 10 years we have obviously technology grows in an exponential sort of hey so all the progress that has happened in the last 20 years in tech it'll take a fraction of that time to to build similar at scale advancements mm-hmm. yeah it, you do sound like a big elon musk fan because yeah. even there you sort of invoked Neuralink, but it's It'll be so interesting to see what new ways we interact with technology and information in the future. And yeah, I'm, I'm exciting to see what happens. And hopefully you and I will be a part of that sort of yeah, shift. Definitely. But yeah, it's amazing to talk to you again. Thank you so much for making the oh, time. Yeah. Thank you. This is awesome. Yeah. It's always great to talk to people about the creator economy, but also people who just understand that there's something really powerful going on right now that's, that's going to make the world a lot better. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome to talk to you. Thank you so much. Yeah. No, no problem. Thanks a lot. All right. Appreciate it. Take care, man. Have a good one. You too. Thanks for listening to this episode of the podcast. Please like, subscribe, tweet, text, and share so that more people can find the podcast. Take care and we'll see you next time.